Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Word Processing. My name is Josiah. I'm one of the pastors here at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel, and I'm here with Andrew, as always. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Josiah. Today, we want to talk about prayer. It's a common topic in the Christian church, if you're around it. It's a it's an important spiritual discipline along with word intake. We want to be praying, having this relationship with the Lord. But sometimes because it's so common, we don't talk about it very often. We don't explain what it is. And maybe you've been around the church for a long time. Maybe you're new to the faith and people talk about prayer. You see prayer modeled on Sunday. But when you go on your own and you're at home or you're in the car driving and you want to develop this habit of prayer, you don't really know where to start. Or maybe you've been praying for a long time and you want to get back to basics. You feel like your prayer life has gone off the rails. Today, we want to talk about the most simple way to pray. A prayer that I personally use lots of times in my life. A prayer that's given to us in scripture by the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6. It's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Maybe better titled the Disciples' Prayer as the Lord is teaching the disciples how to pray. But Andrew and I want to talk today about how to use the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 as a template to use for our personal prayer lives. Andrew, have you ever had experience doing this? Yeah, I remember the first time actually that someone took this and broke it down for me because I was still at the age where we said the Lord's Prayer up to a certain point in my schooling even every day. I think up till grade three or four, it was still in the public school every morning, but you kind of just got in the habit of saying these words over and over. And I remember the first time that someone was like, hey, has you ever stopped to look at the different parts of the Lord's prayer and how it leads the disciples praying it into certain things they should be praying for, Mm -hmm. certain topics or directions? Mm -hmm. And I know I've heard you talk on this before as well, and I think it's, it's a fascinating subject that we can look at and really help, as you said, guide our prayer life if we don't really know where to pray. Yeah, and even if we do, like Jesus warns about not praying like the Pharisees with all these fancy words and long prayers. Just pray. Just be simple and speak to God as a Heavenly Father. And yet sometimes we still feel the tension to use significant words and draw it out because that shows our piety. In the preamble to the prayer that he's going to model for the disciples in Matthew chapter 6, he actually says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Isn't that such a comfort? Even before we go to prayer, whenever I'm about to pray, the Lord already knows what I'm going to pray. And this is such an important verse that flies in the face of people who say, why would I pray for that if God already knows about it? Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus here acknowledges that your Father knows what you need before you need it, and yet still instructs them how to pray. I think it's so important. So let's answer the obvious question here, Andrew. Why would we? pray if the Father in heaven already knows what I'm going to pray for. I mean, it's commanded of us. God desires to have a relationship with us. We exist in this time when we have a high priest who works on behalf of us before the Father. We have Jesus sitting there advocating on our behalf. We have the Holy Spirit dwelt within us. And so we, unlike many of the people throughout the Old Testament, have direct access to God through the Son and the Spirit. We don't have to go and offer a physical sacrifice anymore. We don't have to go to the priest to talk to God on our behalf. We have access to him. So why would we not? Mm -hmm. I think it's the better question. For sure. Hebrews 4, we can go into the throne room of God because we have a great advocate. 
we can stroll into the holy presence of the Almighty, which is no small thing. We also know from the elsewhere in the New Testament that the prayers of a righteous person are effective. Mm, James and that, 5. Yeah. And that we have not because we ask not. So we know that prayer actually changes things, that God answers prayer, and he's waiting for us to pray these things. So what Jesus is saying here about God knows what we need, he's not saying God is going to enact what we need even if we don't ask for it. No, he's saying he knows what we need, so ask for it so that God will give it to you. Sometimes the Lord is waiting for us to ask so he can answer those prayers as well. The Lord knows, but he is also responding to prayers at the same time. And there is mystery there. There is mystery. We are dealing with an infinite God and we are finite beings. But we want to acknowledge both truths because the New Testament asserts them both. Yeah, I think I heard it once described about as like a relationship or a friendship where, you know, if you have a big event happen in your life, something really special for you, maybe it works its way around the social circle. If you went and talked to your best friend about that and was like, oh, I got to tell you about what happened. If they said, oh, yeah, I already know. I heard it from everybody else. That would be kind of hurtful, I think, at times. But instead, the relationship is that even though they know what they're about to hear, they want to sit and listen from your perspective. They want to hear you describe it. They want to hear that story because they love you and they care about you and want to hear from you. I think it's a really not a perfect illustration, of course, but I think it's it's one that that means a lot to me that God knows everything that's going on. He knows my heart. He knows my mind, but he still wants to hear from me. He wants to hear my perspective. That's why we have Psalms and Psalms and Psalms of David crying out to the Lord with his emotions, positive or negative, because he knows God wants to hear them. Mm-hmm. And we've danced around this a little bit, but I want to say it explicitly also. Prayer also changes us as sure. the prayers. It is teaching us our dependence on the Lord Almighty. The Lord instructs us through our prayers as well. And so it's hard to believe that we need to convince anyone listening to this that we should be praying. So we want to eventually get to the Lord's Prayer, which is what we said we're going to talk about today. But as a preamble, there are reasons to call upon the Lord. And to me personally, one of the greatest evidences for the necessity of prayer is the fact that it's hard to do. Yeah. Why would the enemy distract me so much for the simple act of communicating with my God and my Lord and Savior if it wasn't efficacious, if it wasn't doing something? Why is it so hard that Bible intake, simple Bible intake and simple prayer to God is so hard to habitually do if it isn't important? The things that are so easy for us to yeah. distract ourselves from or talk ourselves out of when other things come up. And yeah. like you said, it changes us. It's it's a lot easier to say hypothetically love your enemy than it is to actually get on your knees and pray for someone who hurt you. Yeah. Not just that God would rain down lightning upon them and wrath and judgment, but for the state of their souls and that they would be loved and that you would have the grace to forgive and, and all these things that we're instructed to do in, in the Bible. So let's take this prayer one phrase at a time, Andrew, and just kind of, I'll get you to wax eloquent on what this means and how this actually works out in our lives. Do how we just you get told these. that we don't have to do that? Oh, wax eloquent <laughs> shortly. Yes. Quickly, okay. briefly. <laughs> Not like the Pharisees in the middle of the, the town square. That's sure. right. Yes. Jesus says to his disciples, pray then in this way. And he's about to give them a template. It's interesting that in the schools and stuff, they would pray this as a prayer itself. But really, sure. this is a template for prayer. It's not necessarily a prayer in and of itself. It gives us a guide, but that's neither here nor there. Sure. So the first thing he says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Mm-hmm. I love how he starts prayer. Prayer starts with worship, acknowledging who it is we're talking to. How has this worked its way out in your prayers? I love that that second line, hallowed be your name, because it's a word we don't use anymore. I remember being in seminary and having a friend who got obsessed with that word and he would open every prayer with our father in heaven hallowed be your name and it's really just a rephrase of of god's holiness 
right? Is That's my understanding is that it's a demonstrable phrase of saying, God, you are holy. Your name is holy. You are set apart. You are so far beyond. So really, these two first lines are acknowledging who we're praying to and the character of the person we're praying to. It is our Father who is in heaven. It's the God who created. He is beyond us. And he is set apart. He is holy. He is perfect. Even his name mm-hmm. is hallowed. He is uh, set apart and righteous. And so it's an acknowledgement of who we are praying to and who that person really is. Now, at the beginning of this conversation, we said we were going to simplify this prayer. And yet now we're talking about these lofty ideas. So maybe bring us back down to the simplicity. How can this still be simple? We're glorifying God. We're starting prayer by saying, you're holy. What does that look like? Give us an example of what that would look like in a sentence. When you start your prayer, what would that look like? That's not lofty. It's not this, you are omniscient. You are all these kinds of things. What would that look like? Well, again, it starts with the word father. Mm. And so whether for better or for worse, all of us have an idea of what a father looks like or should look like. And so that immediately personifies it. So to give an example, I think it's Father God, thank you that you are God and I'm not, Mm. is how I connect with a verse like this. When we talk about his holiness, it's that he is so far removed from what we are. We're made in his image and yet that sin nature we have separates us from who he is. And so it's a thankfulness or a, a dedication or a declaration rather of how perfect he is and how perfect we aren't. Mm-hmm. That's good. For what's going to happen later on in this prayer, it's also important to start with acknowledgement of who God is. I mean, we're going to eventually ask for forgiveness. We're going to ask God to provide us things that we need. It's important to start our prayer sometimes acknowledging who it is we're asking. I mean, if we're asking a powerless God, an yes. unholy God, a God who is unable to help, then what's the point? A God who is unable to forgive our debts, uh, what's the point? So to just start our prayers, like, our Heavenly Father, like you said, our Heavenly Father, you are great. Yeah. And then move on. You are holy. You are wise. Good. You are good. It doesn't have to be this long treatise on the on theology proper or yeah. anything like that. It can just be the simple thing that, that you've been thinking about, meditating, that the Lord is bringing to your, your mind. I will add here that in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the spirit that dwells within us teaching us how to pray when we lack the strength to do so. That we actually have the spirit living in us who can communicate with God. He is part of the Godhead, right? And so even before you pray, sometimes it's helpful to just say, spirit, help me pray now. Yeah. My father, you are good. You are great. You are generous. You are loving, whatever the case may be. It's an acknowledgement of who he is, first and foremost. It takes the focus off of us, honestly. Sure. My default, if I'm going to pray, is to be like, okay, here comes the to-do list. Here comes the, the grocery list that I need from you, God. We'll get there. But first, we want to acknowledge who it is we're addressing. And I like that you acknowledge, to the piece of the person we're addressing has the authority to listen to, respond to, and answer these prayers okay. and offer the things that we are actually asking for. Yeah, these aren't futile requests. Sure. They're landing upon the ears of someone who can actually do something about them. Yep. Now, the second line is a little bit more confusing, perhaps. It is in verse 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Translating that to my prayer life, Andrew, what would that look like? How would I translate that to talking to the Lord today? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on your eschatological viewpoint. I think in this point, what we would say here is that we are asking for the day when Jesus returns to set up his earthly kingdom and to sit upon the throne of David. We are calling out for that time when God will make all things new, where the sin will be erased. And that's what we're asking for as well when we say your will be done. It's that 
we'll get out of the way of what God wants to accomplish. And it's it's inviting him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. It's a reminder to ourselves of where we get in our own way or get against perhaps the purposes of God. And it's also, it's not like we need to give God permission to do what God wants to do, but it's an acknowledgement of God will do what he wants and needs mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. I see it flowing really nicely out of the first line. When we acknowledge who God is and we're thinking about his holiness and how he is totally holy. I don't know about you, but I can't help but immediately see a contrast between God's holiness and this broken world. Yes. I'm living in this broken world, calling up to a holy God. And so as I focus on his greatness and his holiness, I can't help but say, Lord, bring your kingdom that your holiness may reign on this earth. It says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right now. But we want this earth to be under your holy reign. My mind goes there immediately because inevitably I am calling up to a holy God from brokenness, from sinfulness, from despair at times, from disappointment. And so as I call it to God, God, you are great. This world is not, and I'm not. Mm -hmm. Would you please put an end to this suffering? Would you please put an end to the needs I'm about to bring to your feet, right? To the things I'm about to ask you for, for the sins I'm about to confess. There's coming a day when that will be gone. I will have no more need for asking for these things. But for now hasten that day and i think that just it comes naturally out of a declaration of how holy god is doesn't it yeah and i mean ultimately the implication there is that god's kingdom is not here yet on earth if if we need to pray bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven that implies his kingdom is not here yet and we know in the narrative of matthew that jesus has come to offer the kingdom to the jews and ultimately they reject it Mm -hmm. and so now still two thousand years later we are longing for the day when his kingdom will come and erase all of this debauchery, make new and replace things to the way that they were intended to be. Mm-hmm. Let's just state the obvious. If the kingdom is here now, this is not a great kingdom. It sucks. Yeah, this is this is not what was anticipated. Now we are, and we are not, as the church as broken people, we are not ushering in a kingdom. I don't have that power. The king and the king alone is going to bring his kingdom. And Your kingdom come. Yes. Right? So we want to pray for that. We say, Lord, so going back to how we pray in the morning, keeping it simple, Heavenly Father, you are great. This world isn't. Please hasten the day when you come and make it great. Make it so that your holiness is known throughout all the earth. That's what we long for. Yeah. Yeah. Now we come to the next line, and it's give us this day our daily bread. And here we get to something that's a little bit more familiar for us, right? To talk about the needs that we have. But it's interesting. It's today. It's specifically in these next 24 hours, here's what I need. Andrew, how do you sort this out in your prayers? I mean, I always thought I was talking about the little handheld devotional book that comes out three times a year or four oh, times a year. The Daily Bread right. in capitals. Yeah. Yeah. I see here, no, it's not in capitals. And I mean, you hit it on it already. It's it's give us what we need for today and nothing else, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, a, it's forcing us to focus on today because we have enough worries for tomorrow. Tomorrow, worry about itself, as we're told elsewhere. It's the reminder that, God will provide for us and we need to ask him for his provision in our daily lives. And it doesn't have to be dramatic all the time, right? As I was walking to work today, I knew we were going to sit down and have this conversation and I was praying to the Lord. I was acknowledging who he was as I walked to work and I said, Lord, I need your wisdom today as we talk about your word. That's what I need today. Yeah. We can do no, no eternal good on our own in this conversation. We need his Holy Spirit to guide us. That was a need I thought of, right? And so that's just very basic. It's not earth shattering, but I knew that was a need 
And so I just left it up to the Lord. Here's what I need. Sometimes when I'm getting ready for work or maybe you're driving to work in the morning, getting ready for the day, and you're kind of reviewing what you know the day is going to hold, maybe some appointments, maybe some meetings that you have, maybe some conversations, to just lift those up to the Lord. I know these are on the docket for today. Lord, I need your grace. Mm -hmm. I need your wisdom. I need your discernment. Whatever the case may be, we can just lift that up and look, Lord, give us today. Maybe it's actually literally your our bread. Yeah. You know, I don't know how I'm going to pay for groceries today. Lord, yeah. give us today what we need. And you know what we need because we've already acknowledged you're great, you're holy, you're the God who provides, and we're acknowledging that. And so we're asking you for them. And I love that it just stops with bread. It just says our daily bread. It is simple and it's basic with the implication, again, being that God knows our needs better than we do. There are times in this life, in this life, that we might not have everything that we desire. And there might be times in our life that God might not give us everything that we think we need. I mean, how do we rectify a verse like this with believers who die of starvation? Obviously, there's going to be times when we don't understand what we actually, quote unquote, need. Because sometimes I think we turn this into, you know, what does the human body need to survive? It's bread, it's water, it's shelter, it's love, it's, it's all these things. And yet, this is a demonstration that God knows our full extent of our needs, physical, emotional, spiritual every piece of it far beyond what we can even describe or imagine. A while back, I had a conversation with Dr. Dorian Coover Cox on our cover to cover series mm. in the book of Exodus. And she made a comment that stuck with me as a child. She came to understand that God provides what her family needed. And if her family did not have food that day, she said that she came to realize as a child that that meant that God determined that they didn't need it because they were going to die and they didn't need the food and he was going to take them home. Mm. As a child, like that was such a... <laughs> Wow. A theological understanding, a very intense understanding to come to. But it really is. We don't, like you're saying, we don't know our true needs. We think we do. And they might be right, but they might not be. And we need to trust the Lord. And like we said at the beginning, we can still ask for them. Uh, maybe he's waiting for us to ask. And so we need to mm -hmm. not be shy, bringing the needs we feel we have to the Lord and putting them at his feet. Yeah. He goes on, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Ouch. Andrew, how do we pray this one? I mean, I just want to toss this one back to you, but uh, the word as in here is the big linchpin in some ways, right? Because obviously it's really easy to pray, God, forgive me my debts. Forgive us our debts. We want to ask for forgiveness all the time. And we know from First John that when we pray for forgiveness, that God is faithful and just to forgive us. And yet it's forgive us. Correct me if I'm wrong here. The word as is in the same way that we also forgive our debtors those who owe us things those who have wronged us we're asking god to forgive us to the same extent that we forgive others mm -hmm. i mean i don't know what else to, to even say about that that's it's harsh it's hard as you're getting ready for work in the morning as you're spending time in prayer simply ask the lord for forgiveness lord bring to mind any sin i have to confess to you that's a prayer he'll answer yep and then confess them say lord i confess these sins to you that was wrong i need your forgiveness and mm -hmm. as you just mentioned, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then say, Lord, is there anyone in my life I need to forgive? Bring them to mind. I want to forgive them. And that may take more steps than just simply praying those prayers. You may have to go and find them as well. But this is a simple act of forgiveness. And it's all rooted, obviously, in the understanding that God in Christ has forgiven us. Yes. A very, very high bar, right, of forgiveness. And how can we expect to ask for forgiveness constantly if we are not ourselves asking who have I forgotten or chosen not to forgive. Mm -hmm. It's calling to mind, if nothing else, the areas where we still may need mm -hmm. forgiveness for not forgiving. <laughs>
Now, Jesus closes this prayer template by saying, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So again, looking at the day ahead, I've already asked for the bread I need. I've asked forgiveness. I want to extend forgiveness. But I know there's an evil one out there. I'm very aware that we're in a spiritual war. I'm very aware that he wants to tempt me and lead me away from fellowship with my Lord and Savior. Father, protect me from that prowling lion who is looking for someone to devour. What a powerful, chilling prayer to Mm -hmm. have to pray, but also a comforting, because remember back at the beginning, Lord, you are holy. You are great. Here's who I'm talking to. You're greater than that prowling lion. And we can call out to him and say, Lord, deliver us, keep us from that temptation. What a grace that is Mm -hmm. to ask for that protection, that help. Yeah, I think of that passage, maybe you'll remember the reference where it is, where it talks about the fact that no temptation has come unto you that is uncommon, Mm. and the fact that God gives us strength in the face of temptation. Oftentimes, that verse gets taken completely out of context or flipped in a way to say somehow, God won't give you more than you can handle. I've heard it flipped that way, but really it's talking about temptation here, and it's a statement of the fact that temptation in some cases is only handled through the strength of God is handled through the strength of the spirit within us. And to me, this is a call of, you know, we don't want God to lead us into temptation, but rather be the one who leads us out. Mm -hmm. It's a call for strength in the face of the temptation that will come. We don't want to say that God is the one who is tempting us. And yet we know he is the one who has the strength to deliver us from evil or the evil one. So there you have it. That is a simple template right from the lips of the Lord Jesus himself. How do we pray? What does the simple act of prayer look like when we commune with the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit? Our Father, you are great in heaven. Your kingdom come. Make this world better, we pray. Give us what we need today. Forgive us and help us forgive other people as you've forgiven us in Christ. And do not lead us into temptation. Keep us safe from the evil one. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.